All right, let's uh, start. Um, so I'm going to introduce and start with this part of our class on our workshop on diversity with introducing Andy Bagel and Paige Rodriguez. So Andy is a principal researcher at the Ability Group at Microsoft Research, where he has been for quite some time, I think. Um, and his PhD is in computer science from University of California, Berkeley on voice-based programming. And uh, for your master's research, you worked on Star Logo, a programming language in 3D turtle world to teach programming to, um, to kids. And I got to know Andy when his research was focused on how HCI can improve the software development. Recently, I know that you're now exploring how AI can play a role in extending capabilities and quality of life for people with disabilities, mm -hmm. and that your research has touched on understanding effect emotions and biometrics. And in fact, one of my good memories of you is when we were both giving a talk at a conference and you were wearing rabbit ears giving your- Oh, talk. right. Remember that? Cat ears. Yeah, the Mimi cat ears. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. I should have asked you to wear to put EEG based. Yeah. Um, and also um, for uh, so for our class today, we read your paper on autism uh, coding work that you did in collaboration with Dr. Paige uh, Rodriguez. And uh, as I told the class, we have this special surprise because Paige is jumping in and joining us today, jumping up on the stage. And she is from Clemson University. And uh, the paper that uh, you actually worked on in the study that you did was done at Clemson University this summer. Uh, and so Paige is a professor there at Clemson and she has a PhD from Notre Dame University and her research interests are very broad, including remote work, which we've touched on actually a little bit today, onboarding, source code comprehension, computer science education, and then more recently this uh, research on software engineering for autism. So welcome uh, Andy and uh, Paige to our class today and uh, we're really looking forward to this. So the students have, as I said, read the paper and they have prepared quite a few questions. So I'm going to jump into their questions, if that's OK with you. And I'll let uh, just, you know, Andy and Paige just jump in when you want and answer the questions. Um, so I'll start with uh, Alessandra uh, with her question. If you'd like to join us. Yeah, You're muted. Hello. Yeah, no worries. Uh, based on the readings of this week, and uh, your study results, uh, the remote work or online study has benefited underrepresented minorities. So even after the pandemic circumstance, do you think uh, or do you see keeping a mix of in-person and uh, remote engagements as in a parallel uh, uh, for the same group, but uh, not as uh, one or other, but running both in parallel? and uh, open to each individual's choice as an, an alternative to this. So if you think uh, this approach would promote inclusion in the meeting of equity, not just equality. I'd actually like Paige to take that one. I think she's just been doing some research on that this summer as well. Yeah, um, so I definitely think we're never gonna go back to being fully in person like we were. Um, even some companies like Twitter, um, said like stay home indefinitely, right? And Facebook, I think they're saying like 50% of their employees will be working from home in the next five years after like COVID, assuming hopefully that's done. Um, and I do think that'll affect um, people like with disabilities in the sense that they get to decide like if they prefer to work at home and they're more comfortable, then they can do that. And so um, it could be a way to include people who don't feel comfortable in the office um, on software teams, which is really cool. But yeah, I definitely don't see us going back fully in person, 100%. There'll be hybrid teams, there'll be virtual teams, and there will be some like 100% full 
on campus teams, um, but it won't be the same for sure. Yeah, one aspect of that that's a little disappointing for me is I had a whole research project all about helping people with mental health conditions deal with open plan offices because that's where Microsoft was going, was moving lots of people into big rooms and having them work together. And it's like, well, that's a, dis a disease factory now. So we're not doing that. Everyone, Are those buildings, like, didn't they just finish those buildings too? They did finish a whole bunch of these buildings. They've been retrofitting yeah. existing buildings to make the rooms larger. And now they are changing their minds. Yeah, it's very, who, who would have thought, huh? All of these things, but there's been huge pushback, right? About the shared rooms, so. Um, mm -hmm. Lots of, ha, don't have to do that anymore now. <laughs> Thank you so much, Alessandra, for your question. Um, so there's a few questions actually that ask a little bit about the findings um, from uh, your paper. So I'll jump to some of those questions, if I may. And I'll start with uh, Sarush. Um, yeah. Uh, so my question was about the generalizability of the results. I said, in my thought, uh, the participants that joined your study did that voluntarily, right? So doesn't that show um, their level of autism is different from other people who are diagnosed with autism? And would this, would your results be generally all the people with autism? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Thanks for that. Um, something that autistic people say is once you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. They're all different. They're just as wide a variety as everybody else on the planet. Um, and in particular, our students in this course all expressed some interest in video game programming before they got to the course. And that's probably one of the reasons that they chose to take the course. In a way, that's the kind of thing you hope to do in a course is to give a topic that's interesting enough that all the students want to take your class. Um, so in that sense, anybody who might take the class with autism who happen to be interested in video games would probably have some kind of experience on the same par as what we were uh, seeing. Now, with respect to the kind of findings, um, a lot of what we were kind of going for was really, uh, in addition to teaching about programming and video games, all about teaching communication skills and explicitly teaching communication skills. And the students in our class had a wide range of abilities. And while they would all be considered to use the sort of outdated terminology of high functioning or Asperger's. Um, basically, they, these are kids with low support needs um, is the way we kind of currently talk about that, um, is that um, there were several who didn't really like to talk, several who didn't really want to turn their camera on ever because they were just so anxious about other people seeing them. Um, and those are things that neurotypical people or people who are non-autistic would, they're very conspicuous to the neurotypical people. So those are things that you would pick up on as these people are different. And um, whereas others in the class, if they hadn't really told you about their diagnosis, it would not have always been super obvious that they were autistic, unless you knew exactly what to look for. But I given that they all are, you could help. Sorry, go ahead, Paige. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, it's, we didn't, I don't think we said, wrote this in the paper. I'm not sure. It's been a few, few months, I guess, since we've written the paper, but, um, the students all applied to the university through their normal application process. And so, um, it wasn't like a group of students, um, that have applied and then a group of students that, you know, applies through a special program for, um, we have a program called, I think it's called CARES or 
I forget what it's called, but it's for students with disabilities that can apply to the university. So all of them apply like normal students, like they were high functioning students. Um, but yeah, sorry, Andy, for interrupting. No, no, it's good. Add something. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Suresh, for that question. Um, we'll go to uh, Shuja next. That's um, uh, hi. Hey, uh, my question is uh, regarding that I am I am currently like uh, researching on the use of like uh, uh, social use of uh, smartphones by adults on the autism spectrum. And I was going uh, to a lot of uh, a lot of, from a lot of different papers as well. Um, and uh, while reading, uh, there are like three levels of autism. So, uh, in your study, does your study target all three levels of autism, or is it specific to high-functioning autism? So, I want to push back first on the idea that there's three levels of autism. There. Are an infinite number of levels of autism even. And so that the, the way that those are described um, in the sort of medical diagnosis realm of essentially low support needs, medium support needs, and high support needs are sort of these levels that I think uh, you might be referring to. But um, in general, the ones, the students who can get to college like these uh, who applied to Clemson um, independently of their diagnosis and were accepted, um, that means that they've completed high school uh, they've gotten a degree, they've gotten, um, they have the ability to do the work in, in uh, college. It means that they probably also, they lack intellectual disabilities as well, um, which is about half and half in terms of the autism diagnosis. Um, so these students, I think, are um, uh, common across the set of students you would normally typically think of as Asperger's. And I think those students typically do okay in college, except for the social and, and uh, psychological impacts of autism, such as things like uh, experiencing lots of anxiety, experiencing lots of stress. Often what I've seen from talking to students, college students with autism is that they're often on a plan where they are at school for a semester and then they take off a semester because school was very overwhelming and not academically, but socially. And, causing lots of anxiety and stress, and that was too much. And they had to take a, a semester off and then come back. So they're often not in a four-year kind of graduating uh, kind of pattern. Um, they appear really different. Like if you were to look at somebody's resume who had uh, who graduated from college, and then you would see like a year on with a job, and then maybe three years off with no job, and then another year of a job, and then a few years off with a job. You're always going to see that you, it's a very common pattern to kind of see. Um, does that help answer that? Um, yeah, I, I was also reading a paper uh, um, that's that is published in Carnegie Mellon University, uh, which uh, in which they used computer mediated communications for different level of autism spectrum and uh, they got the result in which uh, diff, uh, people in different spectrum uh, tend to use it like differently and have different uh, communication problems so yeah yeah so i have a I, I don't know the paper you're particularly talking about um i've read a couple about there's a couple papers that are good about technological innovations that support people with autism. There's a couple also about how they use social media, how they use different forms of computer media communication. We also did a study last year on how autistic adults use video conferencing versus uh, 
voice-based conferencing or text-based interactions. Um, and yeah, the, they want very different things out of those communication tools um, than uh, neurotypical people. And they use them in very different ways often. So one example is that like, let's say you're a neurotypical person, um, usually higher bandwidth, higher fidelity video kind of conversations. And maybe even the goal of, of you know, people who've been doing video conferencing forever is that they really want like virtual reality or hologram type, type of communication, like at Star Wars. And that's something autistic people, the ones we talk to completely disagree with as a goal. They often don't like to show themselves. They would rather be a voice because both in terms of the anxiety of and stress of other people seeing them, but also um, they uh, find that there's much less uh, to focus on. So if they're, they get cognitively overloaded by trying to interpret somebody's face that they're seeing. And so if they can just look at nothing and everybody's on the same playing field, it becomes much less cognitively taxing to have a conversation. Uh, yes, uh, I interviewed some of the autistic people and they said that they uh, do well, good behind the screens rather than like, uh, uh, so yeah, they love text messaging. So thank you. Sure. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Shuja, for that uh, question. I didn't uh, realize you were doing research in that area. I'm just going to jump around a little bit in our questions and go off my script a little bit. Um, I'm wondering if Dave wants to jump in and um, ask a question a little bit more about the findings as well. Um, would you like to jump in, Dave? Um, sure. Uh, just give me one sec. Let me get to it. Um, yeah, so my question is like, if in the experiment uh, a person wishes to work alone, would the enforcement of collaboration like be a detriment to the result? Like, what if they're really good at doing things solo and you're forcing them to be in a group and slowing them down and stuff like that? Like, is that a possible case or is that something that's not possible at all? Like, um, Paige, do you want to take this? Sure. Um, so for this paper, our goal wasn't to see how fast they could get a product or a a game developed. It was to learn how they collaborate together to build a software game. And so, yeah, they could have probably, like, there's probably some of them that could have finished faster on their own, but the goal is not to just get them to create a software game or software product. Um, so like in industry, right, most of the time you're working with the team. And so that's really difficult for a lot of people who are autistic. And so we're trying to help um, bridge that gap of those struggles that they have. And so um, that's a really good point. They could have finished it faster, but um, we want to build those skills so that when they're in college, so these are students who are going into their freshman year. So we want to have them um, build strong skills for communication and collaboration early on so that they can do that in teamwork and in the classroom, but then also in industry and hopefully four or five, six years. Can I add something to that? Yeah, go for it. So in the paper, uh, we talk about Katie, who's on team C, and I just had the paper in front of me. So I'm like remembering Katie. Katie was very much a controller. She really liked to tell the other two students on her team exactly what they needed to do. And was basically, it was very obvious she could do the whole thing herself if she had enough time. Um, and, but we tried to impress upon her that that was not the goal of the course to see who could produce the game the fastest or the most complicated game. And in fact, there were some benefits in learning how to communicate with her teammates so that they could participate with her and help her. Um, 
I don't think we really got that point across to her by the end of the course. She still was pretty resistant to it, but we're thinking she might be coming back as a TA for next year. Um, and with that particular role, that might be something that then gives her the opportunity to behave in a more collaborative way or give her the opportunity to behave in a more collaborative way. I mean, I think that this uh, learning how to collaborate with others um, is something that we all need to learn, right? And, and get better at. It's um, often as a teacher, I'll have students that say, I don't wanna work in a group. And I'm like, yeah, but the point of it is to learn how to work in a group. <laughs> That's one of the goals. Yeah, nobody knows how to work in a group when you're born. This isn't, yeah. this isn't a normal human skill. Like this is very unnatural. You have to specifically learn techniques to do this. We don't just yeah. unleash them in a group and tell them go work together. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's like not cool. You actually have to teach them how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of benefits of like working in the group too, right? You can have new ideas come out and more creative products created from working in a group than working by yourself. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if you could maybe get the wrong thing done faster, right? Oh, yeah, thanks, Dave. That was uh, uh, a good uh, good discussion following that question. Um, I'm going to invite uh, Rishan to ask the next question, and it's uh, looking uh, a little bit at uh, capabilities, um, that different kinds of capabilities that uh, could come to the front. Rishan, can you jump in? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, my, my question was, um, yeah, kind of a follow-on from Dave. Uh, so, um, uh, as Audison, um, like, don't like, don't quote me on this, but uh, Audison, I feel does endow people with certain capabilities that gives them uh, performances better on some tasks, and I guess paper uh, the paper touches a bit on this when it talks about um, repetitive work and work requiring accuracy. Uh, so my question was, uh, what recommendations um, would you suggest or have you observed in the industry that would uh, that makes it easier to onboard uh, people with autism? I'll okay. let you handle that. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in that question. Um, so part of it is that, that there's an ability model of autism where you talk about the things that autistic people do really well. And yet some repetitive actions, the hyper-focus, um, ability to spot broken patterns, especially that's very helpful for finding bugs. Um, those are things that uh, um, autistic people recognize in themselves as advantages and Often what we'll try to do, uh, especially so Microsoft has a specific program called uh, our autism hiring program. Um, many companies have this and Google even has an autism hiring program for interns in case you felt like applying. Um, or for anybody who happens to be autistic, please recommend that. That's really good. Um, the particular uh, skills that are sort of pushed on in there is first just check to the, do we have enough particular social skills? But then given the particular skills of each individual with autism, which in some cases, one of them might be really good at social things, one might be uh, very bad at, let's say, things where the schedule changes every day. So like we, so here, I'll give an example from our first year of the autism hiring program a few years ago, where there were two people who wanted to work in the Xbox team. And um, one of them, one of the jobs available was regular server maintenance. That was the same task every single day just check on the server and make sure it works. The second task was basically deal with customer support, kind of like people are gonna be reporting weird bugs and you have to kind of track down who's supposed to be responsible and fix it. And there were two autistic people who wanted to work for Xbox. Both were technically fantastic, 
Um, one of them really didn't like the idea of doing something different every day. He wanted to do the same thing every day. And the other one was like, I kind of like talking to people. So the hiring managers were able to kind of horse trade amongst themselves of like, well, let's get both of them. We'll give the person who likes to talk to lots of people the customer support job and the person who does not want to do different things every day, we'll give them the regular server maintenance job. And both of those two people are incredibly happy at their job. So it's possible to match the job to the person's particular interests and the way that they uh, feel like that they have advantages. And that gives everybody like uh, the positive benefit. Great, thanks Rasham. Um, our next question is looking a little bit at your study design uh, from Jonathan uh, Bezo um, and just looking at maybe what else you could have done. Jonathan, do you wanna ask your question? Uh, yeah. Um, so my question is, do you think that your study would have had similar results with an increase in communication skills, confidence, and a decrease in anxiety if autistic students were instead paired with neurotypical students in the same environment uh, with the goal to be improving communication skills and confidence with interactions in both directions? So I want to take this one again, just because a separate project of mine is to teach neurotypical Microsoft employees how to communicate better with their autistic colleagues. Too often, autistic people bear the burden of having to adapt to a neurotypical world. They're taught this basically since like they're diagnosed, usually like age of three or four, and they have huge amounts of effort in teaching them how to deal with and so and, and communicate and, and, and experience socially the world with neurotypicals. So what I think is important is if you put autistic people with neurotypical people, you need to train both the autistic people how to communicate better, but also the neurotypical people what to expect when you're communicating with an autistic person. And if both sides will hopefully come out ahead in that particular range, you're going to get a diff very different experience for sure. Uh, we had two students in our class didn't really talk at all. Actually, okay, one didn't talk at all. One didn't talk if I was there or if I think if we were around. She talked to the other students in the in her group, but she wouldn't talk if we were there. Um, so it's hard to observe what was happening. But one of the students just didn't talk at all. And I think if you put that student with a neurotypical student, you need a really patient student to work with that person. And in fact, I was a little bit worried about his partner, but it turned out that uh, his partner turned out to be incredibly patient, still autistic, yet very, very patient with another person who was autistic and not really talkative. And I think that attribute is not related to autism at all, whether you're patient with somebody who doesn't talk that much. I think uh, that's, but I think you, if you can figure out how to match people based on these personality types, um, and watch them work and then maybe even have the opportunity to change things up a little bit if, if it's not working out, then you could have a positive group outcome. We didn't, in our class, in our uh, class, we specifically actually, because we were working with all autistic students, we specifically avoided uh, making them change partners because it takes an autistic person a really long time to get used to working with a person they don't know. And we only had two and a half weeks and there was not enough time for them to switch between partners and get to know them and feel comfortable. If this was like a 10 week course or maybe like a, like a six month course, then probably giving them the opportunity to switch maybe would have been a good idea, maybe after a month or two. 
Thanks, Jonathan. Um, so we just have time for a couple more questions. I'm going to jump down to Zane's question. Um, it's looking a little bit, um, again, what happened this summer and how that affected your study? Zane. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically it talks about like the delivery. Uh, well, my question is about the delivery of the workshop. <clears throat> Sorry, in the sense that, so I think you mentioned in the paper that the original intention was to con conduct it in person. Um, so the question is, how much do you think shifting to online impacted the results of the workshop? Uh, based on some of the interviewing uh, responses, it seems that some of the students prefer that they, they prefer the online delivery because, you know, uh, they said they could, that there's some benefits to it. Uh, while some of the instructors felt that uh, the remote setting especially prevented the instructors from interrupting students to provide guidance. So, um, yeah, what are your thoughts on like how that impacted the, the overall workshop? Paige, why don't you take that one? Yeah. Um, so I think in general, most people were happy with the online aspect of it. Um, it was, there was a lot of pros to the online uh, version. So we had two guest speakers come from MakeCode, which was super cool. Um, in terms of the collaboration aspect, at first we did not have breakout rooms with instructors. And so, yes, we couldn't interrupt them. We couldn't just like make them come back. Um, we can just see what they're doing and see if they need to help. And so when you're in person, you kind of can see like groups in a room struggling and then you walk over there and help. Um, so that was difficult. What we ended up doing was putting instructors in every breakout room and that sort of solved that problem. Um, and one of the other pros of being online is that two of the students did not want their cameras on. And uh, one of them put her camera on maybe three times. I can't remember what I was talking about. Very, very few times for very short periods of time. Um, and I think if she didn't have the ability to do that, she might not have been as willing to collaborate with uh, her peers. I don't know that, but it seems like she definitely felt more comfortable being like hidden behind that screen, less distractions. Um, so I think overall the virtual aspect was really great. And especially now with COVID um, and the fact that we're all remote, it, it's good to practice uh, collaborating and communicating in that fashion. I think very few of them had actually had much experience working or doing video conferencing. I think it just wasn't mm -hmm. a thing. Usually most of the kids, I mean, they, they were probably going to in-school type of things before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks for that question. Actually, quite a few of the students were asking about, you know, the, the impact of switching all of a sudden to online and how communicating online kind of impacts, right? Uh, students with uh, that, that have, uh, you know, some concerns, right? With communication in general, and then having to put that online as that extra layer of, uh, of difficulty. Um, I wish that we had time to go through more of the questions. We went through most of them. You can see them in the Google Doc. Um, I really want to thank uh, both, uh, both Paige uh, and Andy for, for visiting with us today and uh, answering the questions. And uh, yeah, did you have any closing remarks you wanted to make uh, before we switch over? I just wanna say thank you. It was a pleasure to meet all of you today. And um, if you ever feel like you want an internship or you want to uh, graduate and apply for a job at Microsoft, we are hiring. Uh, so I saw a tweet that you have internships opening up. Yes, yeah. uh, for both undergraduates and graduates. Yeah.
Great. Well, thank you so much, uh, Andy and Paige. And yeah, thanks uh, everybody who's there.